Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Welcome to TV Concierge. This is the Ringer's Guide to the Fast Streaming Landscape, which got even bigger. The value of television is ever expanding, and now it includes HBO Max, which I'm going to go ahead and say is great. I am joined by my colleague, Chris Ryan. Hi, Chris. Juliet, you've dapped up every streaming platform so far. (laughs) You've been like pro Amazon, pro Zon, pro Hulu. Now you're in the pocket of Big Macs. Which one don't hey, you love? Hey, don't forget about Pluto. I've done two <laughs> episodes of Pluto streaming. I think that I just love uh, streaming. Here's the thing. I've always loved television. I've had a television in my bedroom since I was eight years old. I went to Top Supply in City to buy it. It was white. It was special. I fucking love television. So this is my time. That's why I'm here on this podcast. And moreover, I love romantic comedies. And HBO Max launched on the strength of the entire HBO catalog, Friends, which is no longer on Netflix, and a couple of originals. And a big, few. big Bang Theory and a couple of other big catalog gets for them. I forgot about Big Bang Theory. Shout out Chuck Lorre. I mean, he's Chuck Lorre is the world's ultimate keep getting them checks guy. Yeah, right? that's right. CTC, baby. CTC. I mean, he's got to be probably... I'm going to go ahead and say he's like probably the richest person in all of television. I wouldn't shock me at all. HBO Max. A lot of people were like, what is this? How do you find it? Like, we already have HBO. Why do we need this? This is annoying. Friends leaving Netflix. But here's a reason to get HBO Max or log in using your existing cable service. Love Life. It's a rom-com starring Anna Kendrick and Scoot McNary and Zoe Chow and Peter Vac, who is everywhere. More on that in a minute. And I didn't have high hopes because Anna Kendrick's career kind of topped out with uh, Pitch Perfect. But this show is delightful. I was shocked. I woke up and I watched it and I was like, I'll just watch one for the pod. There's three available right now. I watched all three. Highly recommend it. Chris, what is the pitch on Love Life? It's the first rom-com of the Linsanity era. It's kind of like this was the rom-com cooked up for the ringer audience. It's a little, it's a little crazy. Yeah. Tell it, us why you say that. No, it's, it's a, a stars Anna Kendrick. She plays Darby who is making her way in post-college life in New York city in 2011, 12. Each episode, it appears to be uh, named after and based on a, a, a different romantic relationship that she has. And there's some overlap of characters episode to episode. And I'm sure as the season goes on, that we'll see people cycle back in. But they they put up three episodes Hulu style, you know, for the for the first batch. And against all odds, you know, a lot of these services launch and they launch on the back of their originals. And you're supposed to think, okay, Apple TV, here comes morning show. You guys spent a billion dollars on this. This better be good. And it's fine. Or it's not fine, you know. HBO Max had never really been trumpeting its originals. I think because they have the HBO pipeline and they have these other pipelines of things happening, they were kind of like, here's a couple things. Here's Love Life. 
And I agree. I had some skepticism too. I was like, if this is so good, why isn't it on HBO essentially? Right. And what I found was a show that reminded me of some of my favorite romantic relationship dramedies over the years. Felicity, Girls. I noticed when doing research on this this episode of TV Concierge that a couple of the writers working on Love Life also worked on Transparent. And I think that this show, while nowhere near like taking on the sociopolitical issues that Transparent tackled has a degree of humanity that's uncommon for shows like this. It's really smart, like Transparent was. The writing is like knowing and it's like there's a lot of jokes. You're like, oh my God, yeah. But it's done really well. It's really smart. I I noted all of those influences. I also think there's there's two things happening with it that feel really current. And I'm curious how people will look back on this period of television and be like, huh, that's interesting. Because it reminded me a little bit of High Fidelity, which is mm-hmm. on Hulu. Similar vibe of kind of like, High Fidelity was not an anthology show, but each episode felt really discreet despite the fact that it's on a streaming service. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was interesting. The other thing that I thought was so interesting about this is that it has a narrator, a British woman, who's like telling the story of Darby. And Netflix's show... Never Have I Ever also has a narrator who's John McEnroe and for one episode, spoiler alert, Andy Samberg. And I'm just sort of like, where did the deus ex machina arch narrator come from? And why is it a thing right now? It really works in both cases, but I'm just sort of like, what's the idea factory that that has spawned that? So I think specifically for Love Life, and I'm glad you brought this up, and forgive me for, for aiming high, for aiming for the upper stacks of the library here, but do you feel like there maybe is like a little bit of a nod to like Henry James and Edith Wharton going on in here where it's like coming of age, comedy of manners, especially in the second one, there's a lot of like layers to it. And I actually think that this show has some literary ambitions, especially, and, and it's tipped a little bit when this British lady comes in and describes in kind of very florid fashion the way Darby is kind of abandoning her personal ambitions to just become part of a couple in the second episode, not to give anything away. But I don't know. I felt like it was kind of going in that direction. Sam Boyd, the writer uh, of the first episode, director of the first episode, the creator of the show. I wonder if he's pushing the boat in that direction. It's interesting. I think there's a lot of influences on this show and very often that, that ends up being a mess. But for some reason, this like just really worked for me. There was, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that it captured, like, Bill and I actually were discussing this as it relates to the Hills, but I think a really foundational experience for women in their 20s is like what it's like to have a roommate and what it's like to kind of share your moment-to-moment annoyances, anxieties, excitements, expressions, like, and that is captured really well in this show. I think one of the ways it's most influenced by Felicity is the outrageously large apartment that they live in. It's like a ridiculous three-bedroom and Felicity seasons three and four lives in like the world's nicest college dorm apartment I've ever seen. That was very similar. But Felicity kind of captured that as well. And this show captures it really well too. And I think the literary ambition is helped by the British voice. It's yeah. like, we want like an arch all knowing narrator that I think we Americans associate with like an older with British like Jane Austen. Yeah. Austenian yeah. kind of like, you know, and this is this woman kind and, and it's not unlike Jane Austen novels. I'm not trying to say that yeah. it's like Emma, but I'm just saying it's not, <laughs> not like Emma, you know? Yeah, totally. It's, it's a great point. The cast is also like sneaky good. So can we just talk about Peter Vack for a minute? Were you familiar sure. with Peter Vack? I was not. Peter Vack plays... Um, so Anna Kendrick is the lead. She plays Darby, as you said. Her best friend is named Sarah. Sarah's boyfriend is named Jim. He's played by Peter Vack. Peter Vack, in like the last like 18 months, has appeared in this show. He was on The Bold Type. 
And then he was on the Netflix rom-com, Something Great. Did you watch that? I did. I just didn't he remember him. plays a very similar role as like the like second lead's love interest or whatever. Right. And Peter Vack has become like this moment stand-in for like generic guy you meet in New York in your 20s. And I think it's a really funny way to be typecast. <laughs> like that is that. funny. Because <laughs> that he basically is playing the same role in all of them. I recommend something great. I also felt like this had something in common. There's just there's a, there seems to be a lot of sentimentality for the Obama era and um, Obama tent. Yeah, this we, this tent. is our bit. We, you can t- you could say it. We've talked about this a ton. It's the idea of like that, especially second administration, oh eight or yeah, twelve to sixteen second period Obama, the Grantland years. <laughs> Yeah, the Grantland years. <laughs> and yeah. it was essentially like we've talked about how like there was a certain airiness to a lot of the culture during that time. Yeah. And this show longs for it. I mean, as you refer to offhandedly, it's true. But like episode one, Lynn Sanity is like a plot point. Like yeah. the, Anna Kendrick is learning from the guy that she's into the pain of being a Knicks fan and the disappointment when the Jeremy Lynn Knicks lose. Cause, <laughs> and it's like, it's like a small nugget, but it's such a it captures a moment of time that really resonates with you and I because that was um, a major time, major moment for Grantland as well. But it it for some reason it it does recent nostalgia a lot better than it has any reason to. I I yeah. don't know how else to say it. They don't lay it on thick in any department in this show. I thought the one of the best parts about it is what they don't show you on this. There's um some moments in the second episode that I felt like they went right up to the edge of saying of showing like the really consequential moments of a relationship and then realize that it was even better to show the aftermath of it. And I thought it was just like the second episode especially was one of my favorites that I think I've seen this year. Uh, Shout out to Scoot McNary for the first time not playing an adult man wrongly accused of a crime, uh, perhaps in his career. No, he's like one of my favorite actors. He's been on the watch. He just started Narcos. He, he, you know, he obviously was on True Detective last year. And this is the first time I've ever seen him playing a straight romantic lead. Yeah. It's kind of shocking. You're like, who is this attractive? He's, he's essentially the Mr. He's Mr. Big in this, right? Yeah. He's a Mr. Big. I would say he's more like someone Marnie would have dated in girls than yes. anything else. Yes. And this show also captures the art world. It's so funny how the art world has become like just the aspirational job for white women on romantic comedy. <laughs> and I work has, in art. Though. Yeah. I work in art. Yeah. And and there's just so many funny references. It was a real trip down. It was a real journey down memory lane. But I think I'm also just really happy for Anna Kendrick. Like, as I said at the beginning of this episode, like I was, I was ready to write her off as like, she'll never have a hit again. And, I think many people have wondered what's gone wrong for Anne Kendrick. Did she just need a romantic comedy well suited to her strengths? Is this the answer? I would say that Anna Kendrick hasn't really gone anywhere. It's just that she's not as showy as a lot of stars of her generation. Now, I, I would argue to you that like Pitch Perfect was probably the best and worst thing that ever happened to her because it makes her this kind of very recognizable star, but kind of almost freezes her in amber for that kind of thing. I find her reliably pretty good in what I see her in. You know, she was... Very good in a movie that came out in 2018 called A Simple Favor with Blake Lively mm-hmm. that Paul Feig also directed. And Paul Feig is the executive producer of Love Life. So obviously they have a pretty good working relationship. She's just one of those people that I think hasn't quite like come up with like an indelible character yet. 
you know, and that that is really something that I think has like escaped her. She's played like a bunch of interesting people and she's been in a lot of successful things. But if I said Anna Kedrick to you, you wouldn't be able to say like, oh yeah, like this Tom Cruise role. Like you, when you say like Tom Cruise or Shirley's Theron or somebody, you're like, oh, I immediately think of the character names of their most famous right. roles. You can't do that with Anna Kendrick. I don't even remember what her name was in Pitch Perfect. I don't either. I also don't remember her name in Up in the Air, which she's in with like two extremely famous people in yeah. Vera Farmiga and George Clooney. Yeah. I guess Vera Farmiga is not extremely famous, but like she's a really well-respected actress, but George Clooney is just incredibly important. But Kendrick in has like world. some some kind of, I think some pretty great chops in this in this show. I mean, she's asked to carry a lot of it and also not always be likable in it. Yeah. And in episode three, she's super unlikable and she like really kind of like fucks up. And it's it's really good. She's like straight up good in this. Like I would not be surprised if the Emmys happen if she gets nominated for an Emmy. I mean, the Emmys will happen in what some a weird shout. fashion. What a I, shout. I really I really do. She's excellent in it. And I, I'm like looking forward to it. I'm like, what's the release schedule for this show? I, I'd like to be watching more. I know that we're kind of we're kind of going on here. Can I ask you one question? Because yeah, you're sure. one of the, the foremost sort of like connoisseurs and archivists of romantic comedy as a genre that I've met. Do you think that there's a degree? I mean, obviously, rom-coms have always been self-aware to some extent. But now I feel like that we've seen, especially since Netflix has started doing more of these and it's more common to see a straight-to-streaming movie, like a VOD movie or a show like this or High Fidelity, where we've now like kind of shed some of that metafictional self-consciousness about making rom-coms and people are just back to making rom-coms. Yeah, I I think there was a real void left behind by girls and it's only beginning to be filled now. And I think that there was always kind of like a steady beat of, of this is like the rom-com of the generation. Like obviously Sex and the City held that spot and then girls. And then, you know, there was a real pivot toward male oriented rom-coms with all the Apatow movies and, and whatnot. And I feel like sure. that wave, that wave has crested as just kind of like the natural order of things. And there's a, Sam Boyd's very young. I think he's like 28 years old. Maybe he's 30. Like, I think there's a new generation who's now like entering the space. And as a result, like the tropes that matter to them are different than the ones that mattered like 10 to 15 years ago. And it, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Comedy is like more cyclical than any other part of like the TV movie ecosystem, right? Like what's funny comes back around and like what people are nostalgic for comes back around. And so I think we've just like moved on to a new cycle. This really feels like, if you haven't watched High Fidelity on Hulu, you should watch that as well. Like these pair together really well as kind of like self-contained New York rom-com stories that yes. are really enjoyable and also both really care about music. That's the other thing about the show is it has a lot of very cool good music. musical cues. It's good. I mean, you can get a seven-day free trial of HBO Max, so maybe wait until all the episodes are out to do your seven-day trial. I, I don't know, but I'm I'm in. I'm I'm happy to have the show. I was really sad when. High fidelity ended, so this is like really. I don't know what the, the, right the TV concierge like stamp of approval, like the the heavy rotation <laughs> recommended is, but Love Life this gets is it. it. Yeah, totally. I I would say if you're if you're choosing between a few things right now, start with Love Life. Put High Town at the end of your list. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> for Juliet and Chris, this is the TV concierge. <laughs> 